Gretov. Um, today's daf is daf uh, Lamed Gimel 33. Oh yes, that's a new way to know the daf. It's uh, the, the number, the day in July plus 30. Okay, good. Anyway, <laughs> so good error, Fourth of July. We pick up at the bottom of Lamed Vedaman's pet, um, and we are dealing, and we are up to um, where is it? Um, the Ika. Uh, 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 okay. All right. Hanichnas Igad Bait Rav Papa Mishmei de Rava Masnig Le'Areisha. It is three, four, five, eight lines from the bottom, middle of the line. Basically, we are dealing with a Mishnah. Very important. The earlier Mishnayot talked about people crashing into each other in Rishut Harabin and said that they're putter because they were going with Rishus, um, which um, even one guy running and one guy walking, which is interesting. But anyway, that gives gave the. Uh, they, they gave the um, like uh, appearance, or you know, um, uh, that um, that Adam uh, Amazik would be putter if he's operating in Rishus with Rishus with permission to be doing what he's doing. But this, the mission we just read is clearly contradicts that because the mission we just read talks about chopping wood in your in your you know backyard in your private domain, and it goes ahead and a splinter goes and it hits somebody else in their property. So you're operating in Rishus. It's flying off not even into a Rishus Arabim, but it's a private property, and you're chayev. So obviously operating with Rishos is not enough to exempt an Adam Hamazik. Um, so the difference, just uh, to clarify, um, taken on its own, we could have said that the reason in Rishos Harabim that your putter, it's sort of like, and this is actually worth uh, underscoring for a moment, we didn't make this point yesterday, it's sort of like the idea that Shane and Regal is exempted from Rishos Harabim, right? You could have sort of said that the reason is, you know, if you, in order to give people the, op- the ability to use Rishos Harabim, first of all, you can't, you know, make them liable for everything or that nobody would use it, and maybe more so, you know, if I'm using Rishos Sarabim, and I know other people are using Rishos Sarabim, like, I have a responsibility to be watching out for myself, and if I'm not watching out for myself, you know, maybe it's like Pir Hanizak, maybe it's contributory negligence. You might have said that that was the difference, right? So if everybody's using Rishos Sarabim, everybody's sort of got to watch out for themselves. The Gemara, however, emphasized a different point, that in the Rishos Sarabim, both people were moving, and since both people were moving, and they both, like, nobody was particularly more to blame than the other person, um, then you cannot sort of say one person is the Mazdik and the other person is the Nizak. Why do you say that I was the one, you know, that I got my fist into your face, you got your face into my fist? Now that would be, the, you know, why do I say I got my beam into your, into your picture, you got your picture into my beam. So anyway, but that's important, that we had some exemptions of Adama Mazdik when it was in Rishut HaRabim, when it was in the public thoroughfare, because everybody's operating with Rishus, but it's important to note that that's not a blanket exemption, because we had our case in our Mishnah of chopping wood and the splinters go flying and even though you're, what you're, you're allowed to be doing what you're doing you're going to be chayed and it certainly looks it should be no worse you know you should be no, no better or whatever than the case of boar when you dump your garbage or you spill out your water in Rishos Harabim even if you have permission to do it you're responsible so having permission is not enough to be exempt okay so that was some basic principles about Adam Hamazik um, and then but re- recently we're dealing now in the Gemara with this idea of somebody chopping wood and somebody coming in and um, and the uh, wood flying and uh, killing the person and the Gemara actually said that he's going to be exempt even if he gave permission for the person to come in so that seems like wild why would you be exempt you know somebody's in your store you gave them permission and the Gemara basically said because you could be exempt for Gullus going into exile not only if you're not negligent enough
up, but if you're too negligent, if you're if you're Shogay Karav Lamazin, and the Gemara challenged that yesterday. Okay, so now we're going to have another read on that. So let's take a look. Again, eight lines from the bottom. Rav Papa Mishmei Rava taught that teaching about being um, exempt on the first part of the Brayta. Somebody who goes in to the um, to the uh, to the store of the uh, carpenter shalob your shirt without permission. And a uh, splinter uh, flies and hits him in his face on like uh, um, on his forehead. Who mate and he dies. Patur, he's exempt. Um, so in that case, um, that case you're exempt from Gullus because that case, you know, the uh, carpenter was unaware that the guy came in. Actually, there's an interesting discussion Tosus has. Was he aware, but he but but he didn't give him permission, or he's completely unaware. Um, but anyway, but that case at least the guy didn't have permission to be there. So there he's exempt from Galut, but he is Chayv and Arbatzvarim. Now this actually still creates a problem because Chayv and Arbatzvarim, if you might remember, when we say Adar Muad Olam, that's for Nezek. The obligation for the Arbatzvarim for Shevet Tsar, Nezek, and Ripur, Shevet Tsar, Nezek, well, Nezek and Ripur, Boshet, you wouldn't be Chayv here, is only with negligence. Right? Everybody remember that? Adar Muad Olam for Nezek, like flat, across the board, except we've had some challenges to that. But the other extra payments for Chavala is only for Priya. And the payment for Boshet is only with intention to damage. Okay? So if you're saying Chayv and Arbetzvarim, it means you were negligent. Means you were negligent means even if the guy came in without permission, presumably you saw him there. So if you're negligent, it's still, we're still back to the question about why are you exempt from Golas? Okay? So Rashi says it's not because of too much negligence, it's not because of too little negligence. The reason you're exempt from Golas is an arbitrary reason. It's not Dumya Diyar. Like the classic case in the Torah is two people going into a forest to chop wood. And there, they both have permission to be there. So this would be an arbitrary exclusion. If a guy doesn't have permission to be there, even if you're aware of his presence, and even if you're negligent, you're Patr Migolos. Okay? So, strange idea, but that's the way Rashi explains this. Because once we're saying Chayev Ba'ar Badvarim, we are conceding the fact that there is negligence in this case. One minute. Let's see what the Gemara says. Okay. Mandamakula Seifa, if you say you are exempt from Golos in the end case, when you gave the guy permission, right? So, you're certainly going to be exempt in the, like that case with like a lot of negligence. So, you would certainly be exempt in the first case where the, the negligence was like um, less. Now, it's not necessarily true. Like, maybe too much is putter, but the right amount is higher. But anyway, but but if you say you're exempt in the first case when he came in without permission, but in the end case, since he has permission, you are Chayev Golos, so maybe you're exempt because you don't have permission, and that's not similar to the case of Yar in the Torah, because it's a, you know, it's a formal exception. You're not Chayev Golos if the guy is there without permission, but in the end, when you gave him permission, you're Chayev Golos, and it does not have this idea that if you have too much negligence, you're exempt. No, you'd be Chayev Golos. You knew he was there, he had permission, you're Chayev Golos. Okay, now the question is like this. Me Chayev Golos? Are you really Chayev? That time we turn to Brysa. You go into the store of a um, uh, what's that? A metal worker. Um, and a spark flies off and hits the guy in the face. Umate and he dies. Patur, he's exempt. 
even with permission. Okay? So there, what do you see? So there you see that you are exempt from galut even if you enter with permission. And this goes against, right, we, what we, we're now saying you're only exempt if the guy came in without permission. But if you had permission, you're chayiv galus. And here you say, if you had permission, you're potter. So again, like, it's hard to understand what this is about, but here again we have a guy entering with permission and going to be potter and galus. Enter at your own risk. Well, right. But again, like, what's the logic? How is this worse than the case of Yar? Again, maybe this is a case of, like, too much fault. But anyway, but at least here you have that case of coming in with permission and the guy being putter from Golos. So the Gemara says, We're dealing with, thank you, we're dealing with the, um, the, uh, a, a, uh, what do you call it? I was going to say an intern, but that's not the right word. A uh, apprentice of the uh, of the uh, iron worker. Okay, so the Moshe says, an apprentice." So just because he's your apprentice, he's he's you, you can kill him. <laughs> that's a great line of the Gemara. Maybe he's the apprentice and he has permission. Since when does that get you off of goals? So the Gemara says, "No, Kisharabu Misari Volase." So the master is telling him, "Get out of here! Get out of here! I need my I need I need to work in private." So he says, "The Ainiyotin." He refuses to go. So the just because the master is urging the ghost, makes all guy. You're allowed, you know, he's, he's open to be killed. It still doesn't explain it. Big deal. You know he's there, right? How come you're going to be, and if you're, you know, how come you're going to be part of? So the master says, no. Kasama Yatsa. No, he figured, I told him to go, he's gone. So it'd be a case where, where he's, he's, he's no longer negligent. He figured that his apprentice listens to him. But it says, So let that be true also about another person. And yeah, you know, you told him to go, you assume he's gone. No. Another person, I don't assume that another person necessarily listened to me. But I assume my apprentice did listen to me. Okay? So if he comes in, Shalobir and then maybe I'm putter, maybe again it would be a scenario where either I don't know that he's there or I tell him to go and if anybody comes in without permission and I tell them to go then I assume they listen to me and they left okay so I'm not so in that case I'm putter either because it's not similar to the case of the yar or because because it's without permission or because I assume that they're not there but if they came in with permission okay then in the case of an apprentice you're still going to be putter because when you tell him to leave you assume he's gone. So, it's a very narrow ukimta that it's doing about this. Anyway, bottom line is, we have these different ideas about why he could be putter and gullus. One is because of too much negligence, even if he came in with permission, and another which is no. Like, we don't have a tour for too much negligence, but you'd be putter if he came in without permission, maybe because, at least the way Rashi explains it, you can't say there's, there's no negligence in that case because Jechayv and Arbetzvarim. So, presumably you know he's there. Okay? So, th- that, so there has to be some other exclusion from gullus, and that's the way Rashi Rashi explained just because it's not Dumya the Yard. It's not parallel to the case of the forest in the Torah. Yes, Charlie, you had a question. No? Okay, moving on. So the Mar says like this. Razid, in the name of Rava, taught this issue about Ptur Migalus, not in the case of having permission, not having permission, but in this other case. Um, it says, Umatsa. It says, you know, um, that he's chopping wood and the handle fly and the, and the uh, head flies off and it finds the guy and kills him. The, 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 you know, the, 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 the head of the axe. So, Prat Lemamtsiat Atzmo. So that's the head of the axe found the guy, which would exclude a case of a guy making, uh, sort of getting himself found. What does it mean getting himself found? You threw a rock you know, into the Rishas Harabim, um, or slipped out of your hand, or whatever it is, the Hotzi Hala et Rosho, and it would have landed like, and not hurt anybody. And this guy, while the rock was in mid-flight, 
popped up his head. And he wasn't trying to hurt himself. He didn't realize that there was a rock flying, but he moved into the trajectory of the rock. Okay? To keep line, the and, that, and as a result, he received the rock. The rock hit him. Patur, you're exempt. Okay, now, is that you're exempt because you don't have enough negligence? That doesn't sound like it. It sounds like another formal exemption. You threw something in Rishus Harabim. That was completely negligent. It could have hit somebody. But, the, it did hit somebody, but the way it hit somebody was not because that was the trajectory of the rock when it left your hand. You know, if you had followed that trajectory and it ended, it would have, it would have, it, you know, would have hit the ground, but somebody moved into its path. And there's an exception here that if you move into the path and you are participating somehow in, you know, it's sort of similar like if two guys crashing into Rishus Harabim, you're actively participating in the act of, you know, getting yourself, you know, about, about having this rock hit you. In that case, when the victim is an active participant, you know, in making it happen, even if, even, uh, you know, if you were negligent and he wasn't negligent, somehow that exempts you. That gets you off the hook. Okay? If your pot was in the Rishuta Rabbi and you got through the rock and the wind moved your pot into the trajectory, you put this in this. No, I don't know. You can't assume it's the same thing about Nezek. These are something specifically about what he called it. Like just a minute ago, we said that in the case of Shalom Rishos, you're Chayven Arbitrum and you're Patur Nezek. So there seems to be some of these arbitrary exemptions here by, by Golas. Okay? So the Gemara says, now, um, Right, and in that case, I'm Rabbi Yosef Rebchanina, Patur Migolos Vichayv Arbatvarim. Fine, you're Patur Migolos, but here you go, you're still Chayv and Arbatvarim, because you're still being negligent. You're throwing something into which is a And this guy, you know, you, you know, was just walking normally. He might have walked into the path, you know, but nevertheless, he, he's not negligent. You're the one that's negligent. Okay, so therefore, it's again some formal exemption. It has to be Dumya Diyar, the guy can't walk into the path, but these are formal exemptions. You actually have negligence, and you'd be Chayv and Arbatvarim. The Gemara says, If you say you're exempt in this case, um, you're certainly um, exempt in... I'm sorry, no, Rashi says now we're not dealing with exemption, but chayv in arbitvarm. If you say you're chayv in arbitvarm here, you're certainly chayv in arbitvarm in the earlier cases. Um, but if you say that you're chayv in the earlier cases, of arbitvarm, when the guy walks into your store, maybe you're aware that he's walking into your store, fine, there you have negligence. In this case, you're fully exempt. Why are you fully exempt? So, because apparently in this case, that you, um, you know, you were, un- uh, maybe you didn't have negligence that a guy was going to walk into the, you know, walk into the, where the rock had been thrown. Again, I don't really understand this because to me it seems like everything is based on the particular circumstances of the case. If I'm throwing something in which you him, then maybe that is negligent. And I, people are moving around and I have to expect that somebody might move into its trajectory. So it's possible Rosh Hashanah does have negligence. It's possible in my store I don't have negligence. Maybe I wasn't aware that the guy was there. Right? So the assumptions that the Gemara are make, is making that in the case of the store you clearly have more negligence and in this case you clearly have less. You know, again, I don't exactly get what, what you know why. What? Yeah, that the Gemara just assumes that everything should be based on the particulars of the case. Right. So it was connected to a particular price or a mission so we can narrowly define exactly what the Right. Exactly. Right. But yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. I yeah. Okay. I hear that. <laughs> right. 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 Okay. Let's. Anyway. But we got the idea that for arbitrary you need negligence, and for uh, gullus, either too much negligence exempts you, or some of these formal distinctions about b- entering shalom or mamsi atmo and so on. All right. Tanur Rabbanan. 
one more case of this uh, along these lines workers came to go to the uh, you know the employer the homeowner there they were they were mowing his lawn or they were you know harvesting the field and they came to get their uh, pay their, their money at the end of the day and they went into the guy's you know yard and they got gored by the owner's ox Okay, so again, there's a question about, you know, who, like normally we say, you know, if you go into my domain, you know, without permission, right? So that's the, the one case that I'm exempt is you enter into my, your domain, my domain without permission. But then it's like, who said you were allowed to be here? I can't be liable for things that happen to you if you're on my property without my permission. Okay, so that seems to be the case. It's telling you that they don't have permission to enter into his property even if they need to get paid. All right? Without explicit permission. Um, okay, so the dog bites him, who mate, and they die patur. So now we're going back also to the question of 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 what do you call it of um, of uh, of gullus, except not gullus, because if they get uh, gored or uh, attacked by a dog, it's really the question about right about paying a kofar. If my animal attacks whatever you you know somebody and kills them, it's a question about being chayiv in a kofar. So it is funny that it gave an example of dying. Because a more an easier example would just be my chayv normal nezek. You know, maybe who knows? Maybe kofar has different rules. Anyway, uh, but the point basically is, somebody comes into my rishos, they get hurt, hurt by my animal. I'm exempt. Um, no, you know, the owner is not exempt because people workers have the implicit permission. You know, they have the right to go in and to ask to be paid. So therefore, they they, they have a right to be there, and therefore they're, the owner is not exempt. Hey, um, what's the case? If the owner, you know, the guy who owes them money is, uh, you know, is, is often found in the city, in the town, my time is acherim. Why do, why does this uh, second position think that they have a right to go in, uh, into his uh, property? Wait till you find him. He's in the tavern. You'll find him in the town on a regular basis. Wait till you, who, who says you can go into his property without getting permission? Okay. The uh, my time is acherim. Is a shiach bias. And if he's presumably like only found in the house, they won't have an opportunity to find him in the town. So my time is the time of comma. So what are you supposed to do? You didn't have telephones in those days. So if the guy is always at home and you need to get paid, of course you should be have a right to go into his yard and knock on his door. Okay? So what's the case where they could be debating whether they have a right to be going into his yard? So So the obvious is the middle case. You know, sometimes he's a uh, He's 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 in the city and some in town and sometimes he's not. Okay, so nevertheless, there's a presumption that since sometimes he's in the town, you can't just walk in unannounced. Okay, so what happens though? So it doesn't just it's not just that case. Sikari Abava, you call out at the door. You say, "Hey, we're here. We came to get paid." So Amilu and he said, "In yes, I know you're there." Okay, hold on a minute. Okay, maybe he didn't say hold on a minute. He just said yes. So what does yes mean? <laughs> they say, here, we're here to get paid. Yes, fine. So Maria Savar in Ul. Yes, fine, come in and I'll pay you. Okay, that's what yes means. Talk, uh, come to Ul Tal, come up and come in. Mashma. Umar Savar in. Yes, I know you're there. Kuma stay where you are, I'll be down in a minute. Okay, <laughs> so what does yes mean in that context? Mashma. All right, but basically the point being that everybody agrees if you have a right to be there, either because as a worker you have a right to be paid and that's the only way you're going to get paid is by going there because you can't get him outside of the house or he gave you permission then obviously he's chayev if you don't have a right to be there then he's going to be part of okay of course the other interesting question getting back to the fact that the circumstances are always different is what if it's a 
unclear, right? What if, like, let's say we could both agree that when he said yes, it was intri- intrinsically ambiguous, right? Does he have to prove that you didn't have a right to be there? Or do you have to prove that you do have a right? How do you deal with cases that you did that that you're not going to be able to resolve whether it's cl- whether it's clear you had a right or not? Okay, so the Gemara says like this: Tiny in We have a brayter that teaches that in this case, yes means yes, stay there. I'll be down in a minute. The tiny we turn a brayter. A worker came to demand his fee, his payment from the uh, from the owner. And here it does not have that he died, right? It's, the, the word died there seems strange. Okay, he was he was gored or bitten. The owner is exempt. And this is even though he came in with permission. This is sort of like the brayter before about the you know metal worker, where it says even though the guy had permission, you're exempt. It sounds crazy, right? It sounds like some blanket exemption when you're on my property even with permission which the Gemara is not prepared to accept so the Gemara says I'm my potter why are you exempt you know you have permission to be there why is the owner exempt and Allah Mishus doesn't mean you really have permission it means it sounded like you had permission and Allah Zakaria Bava must be you called out on the door for Amulay in and he said yes yes means yes stay where you are I'll be down in a minute of course the irony is that the brightest still described it as um, you know Nichnas Bershus it's not Nichnas Bershus it means Nichnas with a presumption of having permission but you're actually wrong you actually didn't have permission alright anyway uh, interesting case again what's more in a way more interesting is not that the Gemara has introduced any real new principles but that you know that the Brightas seem to be saying making sort of more blanket statements like anytime you're in my domain I'm exempt from Golos and I'm exempt from uh, you know Nezek and here the Gemara is sort of reinterpreted no you really it was really because I wasn't negligent or it was really because you didn't have permission and so on okay so now the Gemara says like this now we actually you know these Prakim have been very like nicely divided right the first parak was Klawim the second parak was Shane and Ragel, although the last mission, the second parak, it was introduced Adam Muad Olam. But until now, we've basically been dealing with Adam Hamazik. Okay, now. So it has been a nice, coherent, but now, like, I would like the, a new parak to start right here, <laughs> because now we're completely shifting gears, and we're going to basically, like, a sure Hamasek. Okay, so let's take a look. Um, although we still have a little bit of Adam. Shnei Shvarim Tamim, Shechav You have two uh, tame oxen that gore one another. Um, so one did $100 worth of damage, and the other did 50, uh, $20, worth, uh, let's say $80 worth of damage. The difference is 20 So the one that inflicted the more damage pays half of the difference, pays 10. Okay? Shnei muadim, let's say they're both muad, they both habitual. Misham and Moser Nezek Shalim. So when did 100, one did 80? The one who did the more damage pays the difference, pays 20. Echatam vechad muad, one is tam and one is a muad. Muad betam, now let's say the muad did more damage than the tam. The muad did 100 and the tam did 80. Misham and Moser Nezek Shalim. So you pay the difference, 20, you pay full. Tam the muad. If the tam did a hundred and the muad did eighty, so mushal the moser You pay the difference twenty. You pay it half. You pay ten. Now somebody, Charlie, should be uh, jumping up and down and making a very serious objection at this point. What's the problem with what we just said? Until now, it seems obvious. Tosus actually says, "I don't get it." That Tosus' whole mission is like so obvious. Who needs this mission? Of course, you pay the difference. Like, what's the chiddush? Right? Whatever, whatever the difference is, you pay it. If you're a muad, you pay the, the difference full. If you're a tam, you pay the muad half. What's the problem in this case? A time gored 100 and the muad gored 80. 
And it says, okay, the Tom did more, so the difference is 20, so pay half of the difference, pay 10. What's the problem with that? The, the, the Tom should not be liable for the 80. If the, the, t- the Tom gored 100, the Tom's liability is 50. Right. The Muad's liability is 80. Yeah. You don't pay half the difference. You half the damage, yeah. right? And, and then you figure it out, right? So what does this mean that you pay half the difference? That's crazy. That's obvious. It's the opposite. It's crazy, okay? In the case of Tom and Muad. In the case of both Tom, they're both Muad, then it's pretty obvious. You figure out what the difference is. But in the case of Tom and Muad, you should figure out each one's individual damage, yeah. half of the Tom, the full of the Muad, and then you pay. So the, so, so the Rush says, that's the Chiddush of the Mishnah. The Chiddush of the Mishnah is, he says that it's a case that they started at the same time. By the way, here's another important point that the Rush makes. He says, if one of them starts, one of them is the instigator, then the, then the, the one who's reacting is totally putter. Okay? Because it's basically, you can't blame the ox that was attacked for then attacking back. Okay? So, a, number one, the Rush says this is only a case where they both started at the same time. And he says, the Chiddush of the Mishnah is that you don't say there were two acts of damage here. You pay 50, you know, you, you did 100, you did 80, so you're 100, so let's figure it all out. No. You basically look at it as the only damage that occurred was the difference in the damages. Okay? Which is a huge Chiddush. Right? But he basically has they start fighting at the same time, so you don't say this one did 100 and this one did 80. You basically say this one did 20 of damage on the other. Everything else evens out. It's like it didn't happen. It na- cancels itself out. That's a huge finish. I don't know the basis of saying such a thing. But that's exactly what he says the finish is. Now, Tosos has another related napkinina. We're going to see in a minute that there's a debate of Rebbe Akiva and Rebbe Ishmael when my Tom gores your ox. Okay, and let's say it did a hundred dollars worth of damage, and I owe you fi- and I owe you fifty. Do I just owe you fifty? And you, it's, you could collect from the ox if you wanted to, or it's limited to the value of the ox, but I owe you fifty. Or do you actually get fifty dollars stake in my ox? Okay, you actually own fifty dollars of my ox. So if you say the latter, there's also a chiddush here. When our two tom oxes gore one another, it shouldn't just be. Let's say mine did more damage, so you now own ten dollars worth of my ox. It really shouldn't be the halacha. The halacha should be, I owe $40 of your ox, and you owe, oh, not owe, I own, excuse me. It shouldn't just be that you own $10, if there was $20 difference, the mission saying, you own $10 of my ox. No, logically, I should own $40 of your ox, and you should own $50 of my ox, right? So again, by saying that, no, the conclusion is that we don't own each other's. You just, the, the one who suffered more damage owns that part, part of the ox of the one who did more damage. It again says that we're looking at this as the only damage that occurred was the difference of the damage, right? So one way or the other, there's a huge chiddush in this Mishnah. We do not look at this two separate acts. It was two separate acts, you don't part of his ox and he don't part of yours. It was two separate acts, you'd first divide what the Tom did in half and then you'd figure out the full amount that the Muad did. But we're not saying that. We're saying if they were started at the same time, we only look at the difference. Okay? That's a huge Chiddush. Gemara never even explains why, but that's the huge Chiddush. Okay? Now it says like this. Um... Um, okay, two people that were uh, that uh, injured one another, fought, you know, intentionally, uh, hit, you know, uh, inflicted injury. You pay the difference, you know, the full amount. Okay, you should also pay. I mean, we're sort of ignoring right now the other issue about the doctor bills and the tsar and all of that. Now, let's say it was a man fighting an ox. 
We're not fighting a man. Mishalim, so they're both, so if they're both a muad, if the ox is a muad, so Mishalim the most and Shalim. You look at the difference and it pays the full. Adam v'tam v'tam ba'adam. Let's say he's fighting against the tame ox. Adam v'tam. So if the person did more against the tame than the tame ox did against him, mishalim b'moshe nezek shalim. Tam ba'adam. If the tame ox did more against the person, mishalim b'moshe chati nezek. You pay half of the difference. Again, not that you half it first and then figure it out. No, you look at the difference and you pay half of the difference. Okay. Rabbi Akiva Omer aftam shechavo ba'adam mishalim b'moshe nezek shalim. This is the Rabbi Akiva we quoted way back in the first parak that he believes that a tame ox that pays half, that's only if it scores another ox. But if a tame ox scores a person, it pays full. Okay, and we're going to see in the Gemara why that is. We're going to read the Gemara and then I want to go back and say an important point that the Rush said about the, uh, earlier in the Mishnah. Let's see the Gemara. Okay, Tanu Rabbanan. So basically, what you have in the Torah, it speaks about if, an, if a shock, if an ox scores somebody, it says, ki shor ish, and, no, not shor ish, whatever. Um, it says about, um, if an ox kills somebody, um, uh, whatever, it's like the case of vehemit ish, oisha, ashor yisakel, vegam balav yumat, okay, in kofi yushat alav, right, so natan ki Okay, this is about Okay, so this is a case about a case about killing killing a person killing a person and then afterwards it speaks about about a shor nagach ki gach shor ish et shor reyehu ki gach shor ish et shor reyehu and it says okay and then it has so first it has a case about so this is a case about killing a shore and it has tam and then it has muad okay that's the order that the parshios appear in the Torah first killing a person then goring another ox if it's a tam it pays half if it's a muad it pays full now what's this like why should I think it's different if it kills somebody you put a, you get pay a kofar if it kills a you know a son or a daughter you also you do the same thing what's the chiddush so the chiddush the pshat the pshat once you know a little about uh, about uh, that about you know, whatever about the code of Hammurabi is that in the code of Hammurabi it says that if an ox scores another per, if a person's ox scores and kills the child of another person then you kill that person's child okay so the Torah is saying uh, no okay <laughs> that even if it's killing a child you're going to pay a co-fare you're not going to go ahead and kill this other person's children but the Gemara doesn't understand it this way the Gemara sort of says why do you need like assumes why do you need this extra pasuk and it assumes that this case of is not talking about goring and killing a child of another person it's talking about goring and injuring the child of another person so this issue that's being dealt with in our Mishnah when an ox gores and injures a person okay and the question is going to be Rabbi Yekiva says you pay full and the Chachamim say that you pay half they understand that that's the case of this case of it gored and injured a person you do the same law so what law do you do? Are you going to pay half or are you going to pay full? So let's take a look at the Gemara. Okay? Tanar Abadan. Kemishpat azay yeyasalo. Kemishpat shor b'shor, kach mishpat shor b'adam. So kemishpat hazeh means if it, if it gores and injures a child or whatever, any person, you do like the normal law, like the normal law about a goring ox. 
which is half for the first three times, full afterwards. Okay? Kimish Bashur Bashur Kach means Bashur Badam. Mashur Bashur Tamshan Chati Nezak Mudan Nezak Shalain. Afshur Badam. So similarly, if it scores a person and it injures them, Tamshan Chati Nezak Mudan Nezak Shalain. Fine. Rabbi Akiva Omer, no. Kimish Bashur Hazer Ketachton Velo Keelion. No. What it says is, Kimish Bashur Hazer So the Mishpat Hazer means the second case. Because here we are, notice here, first we talk about killing a person and it does it, um, does it become, right? This is when it kills a person in a case of a tom. This is it kills a person as a tom. So that case you basically kill the ox. Okay, but, and then in Kofi Yushadalav, this is the case of killing a person as a muad. Okay, it's structured the same way. Killing a person, first it deals with Tom, then muad, goring, an ox, Tom, and muad. So when it says, Kemishvah Hazayasalow, it's like the most recent case we discussed. The case of Kofar is only by a muad. So if it gores a person and injures them, you do like the second case. You treat it like a, mu- a muad, you do not treat it like a Tom. All right? Clear how he's reading that? Like the second case we've been dealing with, the most proximate case, it's treated like a muad, it's not treated like a tam. Maybe that you pay actually like from cash, not from the body of the ox, because normally when you pay full, you pay from cash. Due to it, the ox. So it's an interesting hybrid. You pay full, but only out of the body of the ox. Okay, Rabbanan Zelamali, why did the rabbi say Zeh? Because it's not, it's just Kemispat Yeyasalo. They say it means treat it like a normal goring ox. Zeh seems to limit, like only like one law, which Rabbi Kiva says is only the law of a muad. So the Gemara says no, Lepotrami Arbetzvarim. To tell you, treat it fully like an ox. Don't treat it like a person injured a person where you pay those additional payments. It's only like an ox scoring and it's only going to pay damages. Rabbi Akiva Lepotrami Arbetzvarim, you know, where does he know that? Navkalei me'ikikikin mu if a person inflicts damage on another person, etc. And from some of those extra words, we learn some of those additional payments, like tsar and, and, and like uh, you know tsar and, and well, basically like tsar. So Gemara says ish below Those additional payments are only when it's one person injuring another person, not an ox injuring another person. Rabbanan, why couldn't the rabbis learn it from there? Because all we learn from that pasuk is tsar. So I would have said, fine, you're exempt from tsar. Although reboy v'sheves, but maybe the other payments, which I learned from a different pasuk, like, uh, you know, like doctor bills and the fact that you're out of work, maybe you do have to pay when an ox scores a person, kamash malam, that you don't. Okay? So kamishpat hazegi asalo, we're saying this means an ox scores a person. The rabbis say it means you treat it like a normal goring ox and you pay half. And the mishpat hazeg saying, and you only pay like an ox pays, you don't pay additional payments payments like if a person injured another person. And maybe Akiva says means like this most recent case of a muad. When a person, an ox scores a person, we treat it like a muad and you pay full. Okay, so that's an issue that we had quoted earlier about the payment of an ox scoring a person. Now, before we leave out of Mamazik and now focus fully on the goring ox, I just have to end by telling a very, you a very important rush that deals with this mission about two people fighting. Okay, which it says that you figure out the difference. So just turn for a moment if you can find this. I want, just want to read a bit inside to the rush in the back here. It's right after the Gemara. It's um, it's uh, it's uh, par- it's uh, 
Simon Yud Gimel, Parak Shlishi. I probably should have just Xeroxed off this page. Anyway, in my Gemara, it's on page Kufchavav. All right? So I just want to read this uh, very briefly. It says like this. It says, um... So he says like this. Um, so first he says, if one ox starts and the other reacts, it's called Hamashana Bacha Vashinabo, and the ox that's re- reacting after having first been gored, the owner is exempt, because the ox was just responding in kind. And then he says, if you look about six lines in, in the Simon Yud Gimel by the letter Zion, in brackets, he says like this. Two people. They started fighting at the same time. First one guy beat Reuven beat up Shimon and then, five, and then later Shimon came and beat up Reuven. But if one guy, if Reuven started beating up Shimon and then Shimon fought back, Hasheni Potter. Shimon is exempt. You're just fighting back to defend yourself. The Okay, even though we you not you we normally don't say that just because you did something to me that entitles me to go ahead, like you know, and uh, do something to you. But that doesn't matter here, because here you're defending yourself. Remember we said I could even use violence. Remember the discussion of taking the law into my own hands? I can even use violence to protect my property. So of course I can use violence to protect myself. You're beating me up? I can use violence to beat you up to protect myself. Alright? Now of course the question becomes at what stage is my use of violence protecting myself and what stage is my use of the violence of you hit me, now I'm going to beat you up. Right? You know? Mm-hmm. So what stage does it become protecting and what stage does it become something else? Necessary for us. So he's going to get to that. Exactly. So he says, so let's take a look. He says, Right? That when this woman pays Boshet for grabbing the privates of this other man, beating her husband up, that's when she had an option. But if she didn't have an option, she can use physical force to protect her husband. He, this other guy started it. So, certainly the, the guy who's being beaten up is allowed to defend himself. Now, here we get to your point. Sorry, because of exactly this Gemara about the woman defending her husband if you could have done lesser injury but you used excessive force so it doesn't give you a license to now just beat the guy up it gives you a license to do what's necessary to protect yourself you can use force to protect yourself but it cannot be excessive force okay I have no idea right okay so if you can make that as a legitimate argument I really was afraid for my life and I thought I had no option right I mean but like you know Dove was saying apparently that's true in secular law as well a court would have to assess if that's a reasonable claim okay right right so then he says okay and then he goes on but now he has an interesting thing if you skip down about five lines he says like this um, or three, two lines down like where it says Sanhedrin Ayin Dalid right below there in parentheses right we asked this before when it said a woman protecting her husband how much is it your what does it mean protecting yourself as it's protecting people close to you so he says if somebody sees somebody beating up his father 
Obanav or his ch- children, Oachiv or his brother, he gets Hamake, and you intervene to protect your family member. Krovo, Patur, you're exempt. Kamo Isham, so he's learning out from this case of the woman intervening for her husband. You're allowed to use force to protect your property and protect your person and those of the people immediately connected to you. Now, how far? What if it's my second cousin? What if it's my uncle? I'm serious. Like, what's the stage? So then he says, oh, what if it's a stranger? We normally know if I see somebody who's in the process of attempting to murder somebody, I can intervene to protect the innocent victim. But let's say it's not murder. Let's say it's just somebody's being beaten up. Can I use force to protect the victim? Like Moshe, right. Except Moshe just used words the second time. When it was the Egyptian, he used force. When it was the two Jews, he just he, he didn't use force. So that's what he says. He says, Adam Somebody's beating up someone else and you have to you can you need to use force to intervene. Even though it's not gonna kill the guy, so it's not a road date. So he now, he can't do it based on the right to, for self-protection and other things can allow it because you're no longer self-protection, right? So, but what he does is he bases it on this idea of you're allowed to use force to stop somebody from doing an isser. Okay, now that's a little bit funny because the only, I can't, logically you would like to say I'm allowed to intervene to protect the innocent victim as opposed to I'm intervening because that guy is doing an avera and I'm using force to stop it creates a different you can imagine different consequences from framing it in that way okay and you could logically say that when my property is being threatened if it's not my property or my family's then I have to let the courts handle it then it's not otherwise it's like undermines the justice system you can't say was what you would have wanted to say is if it's somebody being physically injured I can't wait for the courts right that's a case like the Gemara I said that's a case of like like there's, the person is not going to recover the reality of having been injured and having had his bones broken so there I should be allowed to intervene just for that should have been I would have said a logical exception of the idea of rodef you have rodef after a nefesh and rodef for bodily injury and logically I think you should have been able to say the same thing so the rush wants to say the same thing but it's interesting that he uses a, for him the available sort of halachic mechanism is this idea of stopping the guy from doing an avera which is a different mechanism let's say it's a Katan. Let's say I see a katan that's got, you know, that's beating up somebody else. Right? Can I say, well, am I allowed to stop a katan from doing an Aveira? Right? I mean, there's a problem framing it in terms of the Aveira of the perpetrator rather than the, rather than protecting the innocent victim. Did you want to say something? Though? I mean, first of all, if you have to, if you have to use these mechanisms, so what's the mechanism for protecting yourself? I mean, as long as you have to protect right. yourself, right? Right. That's the evidence you don't have to. Some of you have this presumption that you have a right to... What? Why am I allowed to protect myself? Well, right. Or the Gemara never spells that out, meaning the Gemara sort of makes that implicit when it discusses the logic of, what do you call it, of, um, of um, uh, Baba Machteres. The reason that you can kill the Baba Machteres is because he's coming to, to take your property. You're allowed to stand up to defend your property, and then he wants to kill you, and you kill him. But the question is, well, why don't you just let him take your property? What, what allows you to turn that whole case into a case of like, you know, so there is a presumption there, which the Gemara never sort of gives a pasuk as a basis for it, that you are allowed to defend yourself and your property. But yeah, I mean, you're right. It never should have, it, it assumes it. That's what the assumption of Avinish Dinalanapshe is, but it never like spells out what that's based on. In cases of Avinish Dinalanapshe, in cases of Nezik, 
was that she, the, the court would have reached the same conclusion, but if you had awaited right. through protocol, exactly. you would have lost all your stuff. Exactly. Well, not lost. With meaning immediacy of loss. Right, so there was a loss. And that's why the Gemara says, when there's Ikapseda, everybody agrees. And, that's, and I would have said the same thing. I would have said, and I mentioned this when we did this, that therefore any case of physical injury, even if I can get compensated afterwards, is always a case of Pseda. Yes. Right, right, I agree. Right, right, and I think right, that the right. rush is basically saying that. You always have a right to protect yourself against injury. The problem is that Avinishtina is limited to Linafshe. Okay? So I don't have, if I see somebody about to damage your property and there's no way you're going to recover the loss, am I allowed to use physical force to stop him? Or would we say, no, that's going to undermine the justice system. We allow you to do it to protect yourself, but not to go ahead for some other person, right? It's Nebuch that that guy's going to be out the money, but we can't let everybody around doing their own little vigilante justice. Okay, but you would still think that there would be more license. It wouldn't be limited to Lenafshe when you're dealing about protecting somebody's physical person, right? Yes, I mean, that does come up in the Gemara, or the Gemara sort of said that in our Abedin Sinulaki, and it comes up in the Gemara Sanhedrin also about a case about Rodev to do an Aveira, not exactly Rodev to kill, or whatever. But yeah, there's questions about what are the limits of that also, right? How much force and whatever, and how do you weigh what? So all of those are relevant questions. But um, anyway, so that's uh, obviously but a, a very important rush. It's f- f- surprising that it's not more explicit in the Gemara, but I really, very important, I think, like a, you know, a, a second part to our discussion of Abedin Sinulaki. Okay, let's look now back at the Gemara, Mishnah at the bottom of Lam Gimel and Aleph. So here we have the idea that you pay half, um, but, so you have a $200, uh, a $100 ox goring a $200 ox, so the 200, so half of it is 100, full, that's worth the full value of the goring ox, so therefore the injured party takes the entire ox, okay? Now, so that's basically saying you pay half, it's limited to the value of the ox, uh, presumably, if the damage was 120, if it was 240 and half was 120, he'd be out the extra. So that's one point that it's limited. It's migufo. But the bigger chiddush of the Mishnah is not that he gets paid 100 and it's limited to the value of the ox. The bigger chiddush of the Mishnah is he just takes the ox. And this is going to be a question of how much do we mean migufo, okay? So, um, because Pazuk says, So what does that mean? Who is selling the ox? Do I actually, the injured party, own half of your ox as soon, or part of your ox as soon as it gores my ox. So that's our mission sounds like yes. Let's see what the Gemara says. This is going to be a debate of Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Yishmael. But it's like this. Our mission that says you just take the ox is Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Yishmael says you take the goring ox into Bastin, you assess its value and that's how much the guy owes. He owes half of the damage up to the value of the ox. But he doesn't become a part owner in the ox, certainly not automatically. Okay? That's what Rabbi Shmuel says. Rabbi Akiva Omer, No, the ox is directly given over to the injured party, or that percentage of it is given over to the injured party. He becomes a part owner. Okay? Now, the Maikamifli, what's this debate about? Rabbi Shmuel Sover, the injured party is just a creditor. He just, owe, you know, is owed money. It's like he lent money to the, uh, you know, money, you you know, he he has a, a, a he has a, a debt against or whatever. He he oh, money is owed to him from the injuring party, um, and uh, it's just a debt. Okay, and uh, we'll see what the role of the ox is, other than limiting the amount of the debt. Rabbi Akiva Sava 
No, Shutzeninu. As soon as he's, his ox is injured, he becomes a partner in the, in, in the, in the attacking ox. The Kamiz Vigiba Haikran, they're debating how to read the Pasuk. You sell the living ox and you split its, uh, its value. Like the case in the Torah is that the oxen are worth the same amount. A $200 ox scored a $200 ox. Okay, the gourd, the, 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 the gourd ox uh, got killed, is worth zero. So now you owe $100. The goring ox is worth 200 so they become equal partners, right? So you get it. If the oxen were worth the same, right? right? If the, if the Shimon's ox and Ruben's ox, whatever, worth the same, and the, set, and the one is completely made worthless, then then half of that, then they become half owners in the goring ox. Yes? So clarification, if the Nevela is worth something, then we say the barely on top of the Nevela, right. and then the price goes down. Right, you only get half of the difference. Okay. Of the, right, exactly. Okay, so... Um, Rabbi Shmosavar, now who is the Torah talking to? Rabbi Shmosavar, Lebedina Kamizaya Rachmana. The Torah is talking to the basin, okay? The basin should sell the ox and split the difference. Which basically means, you know, Reuben owes Shimon money, okay? So Reuben's ox has to be sold by the court, and the court will then pay it off, okay? But it's not that Shimon now owns the ox. Basin has to make sure that Reuben pays Shimon. Kamazi Rachmana, Rabbi Akiva Savar, Leniza Gumazik Mazile no, the Torah is saying, you guys, Reuben and Shimon, sell your ox and split it. So if they are selling the ox, that means that Shimon is also part of the sale of the ox. It means that Shimon is now a part owner in the ox. Okay? So my benai, what would be a difference whether you say it's a debt or it's a part owner? So there's a huge amount of differences. Okay? The first difference is, um, well, let's just read the Gemara's difference. My benayu, hekteishu nizak ika benayu. If Shimon, Shimon is the one whose ox was gored, after his ox was gored, he be, and now let's say it's the case of the Mishnah. Okay? We won't even make them partners. Okay? It's the case where he, it was $100 damage and Ruben's ox was worth $100. Okay? So if Shimon now owns the ox, Shimon could say, I'm Maktishit. It's my ox. Okay? If he's just owed money, he obviously can't be Maktishit. There's a much easier Nafkamina or immediate one. I mean, Tosu says it could have listed a dozen Nafkaminas. A more immediate one is, Ruben says, I don't want to give you the ox. I'll pay you the $100. Okay? So if basically it's just a debt, we're going to see in a minute. It might be a debt with a particular lien on this ox. But any debt I... If, if I owe you money, I am always entitled to give you cash. Okay? So, um... So therefore, what another big nafkamina is that the guy just wants to pay cash, right? Is he allowed to, or does the guy say, "No, I'm sorry, I already own part of your ox"? All right. So, so by me, Rav Meir of Nachman. Now, Rav asked the following question from Nachman: Mazik Mahu. Let's say Ruvain sold the ox. Now, if according to Rebbe Akiva, according, according to Rebbe Shmuel, according to Rebbe Akiva, Reuven can't sell the ox. Shimon already owns it. But according to Rebbe Ishmael, where, where Reuven just owes money, so maybe he should be entitled to sell the ox. He only owes Shimon money. Since Rebbe Shmuel says that basically Shimon is just owed money, so and basically he just is owed money. So now Reuven can sell the ox. He'll pay Shimon money. Or do we say, no, the Hazard question, how much rights to the ox 
does it have according to Rebbe Yishmael? Since Shimon has a lien on that ox, because it's not just Stam, Ruben owns him money. Ruben owns him money, and he has a right to sell the ox to get the money. Okay? So how much, because the puzzle is still saying, which means I can demand that we sell that ox so that I can get paid. So how much, how strong are my rights to that ox? I don't own it, but I have a lien on it, and I can use it to get my money. How strong are my rights? Do we say, since it's encumbered to the Nizak, Ruben does not have a right to sell it. Amalei, he said to him, ain't a machor. Yeah, you're right. Ruben can't sell it. It's like, you know, Shimon has, it doesn't own the ox, but he has a complete sort of right to uh, make sure that it gets liquidated and that he can get the money out of it. So the says, one minute. Vatanya, machor, machor. But Abraita says, if Shimon sells it, if Ruben sells it, it is sold. So, so fine. What it means is it's sold, but choser govehu. So Ruben sold it to Levi. Shimon can now go and collect it from Levi. So it was sold. It's not that to say it was void. It still is Ruben's ox, but Shimon has a lien on it. So Ruben sells it, and Shimon goes and Shimon collects it. So the Gemara says, and presumably then Levi gets his money back from Ruben. So I don't get it. If Levi can just go ahead and collect it, even if Shimon can go and collect it even after the sale, for what purpose does uh, Levi own it? Liradia, so Liradia, so that he can use it to plow his his field until Shimon decides to come and collect it and to exercise his lien. I own it. I legitimately bought it. It's got a lien on it, right? It's like any like land that has a lien. I buy the land. I can use the land. If somebody's going to collect the land with his debt, he'll take it from me at that point. But until that point, I have a right to use it. Okay, so it's Ruvain's. He can sell it. But Shimon has a lien on it that allows Shimon to go and collect it. Even though normally liens only apply to land and not to cattle, here the Torah says you have a right to that ox. It's not you don't own it, but you have a right to have it sold to you for you to get your money. Okay, so the Gemara says, Shema Minash, do we learn from this a general principle that that if you owe money and you sell your cattle, that the basin can go ahead and collect that cattle from the third parties meaning to, can we learn that? that liens apply to cattle? I mean liens normally don't apply to cattle so the Gemara says no here it's different here it's like you have an explicit lien on it and apotiki is not just a generic lien which only applies to land and not to cattle and apotiki is we explicitly say your car is mortgaged you know for this loan in that case even though it's cattle and you sold your car I can go and collect the car so here the Torah says the Torah gives the apotiki the Torah says so the Torah says whatever happens to that ox you're going to have a right to collect it and to use it to pay off your loan so the Gemara says one minute that still violates normal principles. Rama Rava, Rava says, Asa Avdu Apotiki, if you make a explicit, like, lien on your slave, Umachru, and you sold it, Basin Govei Menu, Basin will exercise that lien. Okay? Shoro Apotiki, but if you try to do it on your ox, Umachru, Ain Basin Govei Menu, they won't exercise the lien. So you cannot make, and we thought maybe because an evidence is like land, it's clear you there's some chattel that cannot have a lien on it. It's not fair to the purchasers. The reason land can't have a lien is because you know it's very you know it's in a fixed place whatever people can find out about it and so on anyway so this still violates some of our general rules somebody says no it doesn't violate our rules Evan my why do we allow there to be a explicit lien on a slave 
Mishum Isle Kala, because people can find out about slaves. Okay? Slaves are an important enough sort of a piece of, you know, property as it were that people will know if they're encumbered or not. Okay? And therefore, we figure that when you do it explicit, people who are, you know, buyer beware and people will be able to investigate and find out. Normal shadow, people won't be able to find out. But that's just normal shadow. Hi Nami, in this case, Kivan Denagach, since the, since it gored, that's uh, very unusual to have a goring ox. So Kala Islay, people, it has a, it has a, uh, it, 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 you know, it, the, the word gets out. To turn that Kana Karule. People call it, oh, Ruvain's goring ox. Okay, so basically what's interesting is rather than just say it's a Gzair Sakasov, the Gemara wants this to fit into its normal principles. So what it says is for Rebbe Akiva, the Nizak automatically owns it. And for Rebbe Yishmael, no, the Nizak is owned, owed money, but he has an explicit lien on it. He has a right to force based and to sell it. And that means that even if it's sold to another person, normally you don't have a lien on chattel, but it's possible that it can happen, you know, and therefore this is considered to be a case of a lien on chattel that, that works, and that allows him to go ahead and to collect it even sold to another person. So we're going to continue tomorrow to figure out the differences between Rebbe Akiva and Rebbe Shemar.